Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. Well, one day a little boy was in Sunday school class and he was drawing a picture and the teacher came and asked, like, what are you drawing there? And without a hesitation, he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher looked at him and said, well, you can't draw a picture of God because nobody knows what God looks like. And the boy said, well, they will when I'm done with it. (laughs) Now, we might get a little bit of a laugh out of that, but the truth is, isn't that what we all do? We've all probably created some pictures of who we think God is. We have a tendency to create God kind of in our own image, or we want to put him in a box so that we can figure him out. But that's dangerous for us to do because in our finite minds, we can't possibly understand an infinite God. But it begs the question, how do we know, how do we really know then this God? Well, thankfully, God has revealed himself to us in his word, in the Bible. And starting this Sunday, as we've already mentioned, we're going to be starting a new series together, looking at the different ways that God is revealed in Scripture. And the reason we want to do this series, if you're following with me on those message notes, is so we can know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Now, the way we want to do this is we're going to actually look at some of the different names of God in the Bible, because as you know, names reveal a lot about a person. For example, here are some of my, quote, names. I am father. I am son. I am friend. I am pastor. I was just with some of my friends from college. We were celebrating our 20-year reunion, getting together over every Memorial Day weekend, and my name to them is Fats. And all of those names I just mentioned describe something about me, and they also describe something about the relationship I have with those people. Now, the same is true of God. In the Bible, we see him described with many names, and these names are significant because if you're on your notes again, God's names reveal much about his character and purposes. They tell us about who he is. And even better, since God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, these stories that we're going to be looking at from the past can still inform us about who our God is today and how we can interact with him and trust him. And so for the next 11 weeks this summer, we'll be taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians as a church, and we're going to look at different encounters God has with people where he reveals his names. Now, we can't cover all of them, but hopefully, as we look at several of them, we'll begin to have a bigger picture of who God is and how he wants to relate to us. And so to kick off this series, I wanted to talk about the name that God specifically and personally revealed to his people. In other words, I'll just say most of the names that we'll be studying this summer were names that other people gave to God in a particular encounter they had with God or in an interaction that they had with God, and they have something to do with God's nature or his character. But the name we're looking at together this morning is the name when he was asked, what is your name, that he actually gives to his people. And so to look at this name, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
now, if you're still getting used to where things are in your Bible, Exodus is the second book over, right from Genesis. You come to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we always encourage you to grab one of the ones we provide in the seat underneath you there, and you can find Exodus 3 on page, I believe it is 46 of those black Bibles. It's a great story. I'd love for you to have a Bible and uh, be following along with us. But before we do that, would you mind bowing your heads once again and praying with me? God, we've said it already, but how marvelous and how wonderful you are. And how marvelous and wonderful it is that you want us to know you. And so we pray for this series as we look ahead this summer. Lord, our prayer is that we wouldn't just learn more information about you, but that we would learn to know you more and how you want to relate to us. So even now we are expectant and we're ready for you to speak to us as you have so faithfully through every generation. And together we prayed and said, amen. Now obviously, I will just say, the most common name for God is God, which comes from the Hebrew word Elohim, but that's a name that human beings have given to God, and quite honestly, it's a little bit vague and impersonal, don't you think? In fact, a number of religions worship, quote, God. But amazingly, our God, the Christian God, doesn't want to just be known as God. He doesn't want to be known impersonally. He wants us to know him more intimately than that. And in an encounter with Moses in Exodus 3, he's going to reveal his personal name. Now just to catch us up to speed in Exodus 3 for over 400 years, the Israelites have lived under bondage to the Egyptians. They have been slaves to these people, and it's gotten so bad that we read these words at the very end of chapter two together. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And this is where our story picks up in Exodus 3, verse 1, which says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now for Moses, this day probably began like every other day. He's out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, tending his sheep. Now, you might remember that about 40 years ago in his life, Moses had to flee from Egypt because both the Jews and the Egyptians had rejected him. And so here he finds himself in the backwoods of nowhere. But you never know when you might have your life changed forever with an encounter with a personal God. Verse 2 goes on. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Now, I think it's important to pause here. That word angel in Hebrew comes from the word malach, which just means messenger. And this angel is special because he's identified as the angel of the Lord. Whenever you read that in the Old Testament, there's probably more than meets the eye here because the angel of the Lord is so closely identified with God himself. Some people have called these encounters a theophany. In fact, some scholars believe perhaps the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. We don't know for sure, but perhaps... Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. 
So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to, the, to look, God called to him from within the bush. And I'll do my best James Earl Jones voice here. Ready? Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now read verse 7 on your notes with me out loud. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I'll keep going. So I have come up, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Say that ten times fast. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. An ordinary day, ordinary no longer, huh? Now, of course, what we're about to read is Moses is going to jump at the chance to join God in his work in this world. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites to Egypt? Now, at first glance, that may sound like Moses is being humble, but later we see in this encounter, it's just not the case. He just doesn't want to go. He's afraid. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God promises, I'll be with you personally to do this with you. But that's not even enough for Moses. Look at verse 13. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell him? In other words, it's all well and good that you're promising to go with me, but who are you anyway? What am I supposed to tell the people when I say, yeah, I'm supposed to lead you out of Egypt? And in his infinite patience, God answers in verse 14 in one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Can we read it out loud together on our notes? It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Just as important as verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of... Isaac, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. What is the name that God gives to Moses to reveal who he is? If you're following on your notes there, God's personal name is I am. Or four letters. Y-H-W-H. Now, I'm sure that clears everything up for you, so we'll end here, right? Well, maybe it doesn't clear everything up for you. In fact, the truth is Bible scholars have spent probably 3,000 years trying to understand this name and all that it means because something like I am who I am brings more questions than it does answers at times. 
So to get really technical for a minute here, the four consonants in this self-revealing name of God form what is called the tetragrammaton. If you play with words with friends, try that one out sometime. You'll get a huge score. It just means the four letters. The four letters. They are the four Hebrew letters. Yud, He, Vav, and He. Or in English, Y, H, W, H. They didn't have vowels in the Hebrew language at first. And so later, people began to add vowels in it. They added an A and an E. So we get the name Yahweh. Can we say God's name together? It's Yahweh. Yahweh. Now later, when the Bible was translated into English, they changed the name Yahweh to the name Jehovah. Or Jehovah. So whenever you see or hear the name Jehovah, and we're going to see it several times throughout this series, I want you to keep in mind that it's really the Hebrew name Yahweh that we're talking about. On another note, when you're reading the Bible and you come across the name Lord or God in all capital letters, it's talking about this particular name, the name of God that he reveals himself. It's the name Yahweh. Now, this name is important above all other names we're going to look at this summer because God is telling us himself who he is. In fact, this name became so sacred in Jewish culture, they wouldn't even speak it for fear of breaking the commandment to not use the Lord's name in vain. And yet, I would say to that, the Lord wants us to know his name. He wants us to know him personally, but what does this name actually mean? It's a little confusing, so let's take a look at four things the name Yahweh tells us about who our God is. The first thing we learn about God through his name is that Yahweh is eternal and unchanging. He is eternal and unchanging. Yahweh occurs in the present tense of the Hebrew verb to be. In other words, God does not say, I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. He says, I am who I am. This is because Yahweh has no past. Yahweh has no future. Yahweh only ever has an eternal present. He is the one who always is. He is who he is. He has always been who he is, and he will always be who he is. We, on the other hand, are forever changing. I can see it. We're getting older. Our hair is graying. Our hair is falling out in some cases. We're getting wrinkles. Our skin is beginning to sag. Our memories aren't as good as they used to be. But Yahweh, he doesn't go through that process. He is who he was, and he is also who he will be because he is the great I am. He never steps out of the present tense. He is eternal. Now, I know This concept can be a little bit challenging to comprehend because our linear finite minds can only understand what it means to go from one minute to the next, from one year to the next to the next. But Yahweh is not affected by time. He is outside of time. He enters into time, and yet he is outside of time. What this also means is that Yahweh isn't necessarily who you want him to be. He is who he is. He's not who you or I choose for him to be. So if you're getting to know who God is, you're going to have to let him define himself because he is not, I am who you say I am. I am who I am. Now related to this second meaning we can derive from God's name, which is that Yahweh is self-existent. Yahweh is self-existent. 
Because he is eternal, he is not created. In fact, everything else, everything you see, owes its life to Yahweh. But Yahweh does not owe his being or his attributes to anyone else. He simply exists, and he's always existed. In other words, nothing outside of Yahweh contributes to his existence. All of us in this room exist because we were created. We were products of a mother and a father. We are because they were. You are because they were. I am because they were. I am not because I am. And you are not because you are. This is getting good, isn't it? (laughs) If there was no them, there would be no you. Now, I know this feels like we're in the matrix right now or something. But listen, it's really as simple as this. Yahweh is uncreated. Everything else is created. Even the picture of the bush in this story is meant to give us a picture of this trait of Yahweh. He is a flame that does not burn out. Therefore, his resources are inexhaustible. His power is unlimited. He needs no rest. He can give and keep giving, and he is none the poorer for it. He works and is never weary. He loves, and his love never runs out. And through the ages, this fire has burned, unconsumed, undecayed. He is the God who has no beginning and no end. He is Alpha. He is Omega. Each of us are alive in this room right now because oxygen is flowing through our lungs. Take away the oxygen and none of us would survive. But when God formally introduces himself to his people, he told Moses, in essence, I don't have to go outside of myself for my existence. So when you go to those people, you tell them, tell them the one who sent you doesn't have to go outside of himself to be himself. I am complete in myself. I am. I am who I am. In other words, God is the only truly independent being in the universe because he is the only being who is self-existent. By the way, I think it's important to note here if you're following on your notes that Jesus also claimed to be the great I am He did this on several occasions. One I want to point out to you happened when he was trying to convince some of the religious leaders who were opposed to him that he was the Messiah. And so he finally makes this statement in John 8, 58. Can we read it out loud on the screen together? It says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now it is no accident, the last two words of that sentence there. Jesus is saying he is the self-existent, eternal one. He lived before Moses. He is the fire that does not burn out. Believe me, the religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was claiming, and they called it blasphemy, and they tried to stone him on the spot. But Jesus is given the name that is above every other name. You read it in Philippians 2, right? Everyone will bow down and cry out, Jesus is Lord, all capital letters. He is Yahweh. A third thing we learn in this story from God's name is that Yahweh is other. I just mean he's not like us. He's not like us. By giving us his name, God lets us know who he is. But as we've seen in me even trying to explain this this morning, he is beyond our understanding. Yahweh cannot be put in a box. Yahweh cannot be figured out. Yahweh cannot be formed into our own image. Another word we might use for this, if you're still following there, is Yahweh is holy. 
Interestingly, this story in Exodus 3 is the first time we have the word holy in the Bible with reference to God. At the burning bush, God reveals himself in a way that he had never revealed himself before. Holiness, as we learn in 1 Corinthians, just means separateness, otherness, set apart, different. And in the case of God, if you're on your notes there, holiness means that Yahweh is set apart from everything he made. In other words, there is a clear distinction between creator and creature. And so when Moses approached the bush, what did God tell him to do? Stop. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. Because the place where you're standing is holy ground. What does, Moses, what does God want Moses to understand there? There's a gap. There's a gap that exists between a holy God and human beings. You need to stop and recognize there's separation there. To this day, by the way, in the Middle East, removing your sandals is a sign of respect. In Habakkuk, we're told that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. And the reverse is also true. God's too pure for his eyes to look, or our eyes are not pure enough to look on him. Excuse me. In our unholy condition, it is no longer safe for us to come into the presence of a holy God. But that raises a very disturbing question. How can we ever truly know this God if he is set apart in this way? Well, the only way for us to come into the presence of a holy God is for us to become holy ourselves. How's that going for you? I think I failed when I was about two and a half. That's when, that's when I really fell off the bandwagon there. But this is why Jesus came. This is the gospel. We could never live holy lives on our own, but Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross to take away all of our unholiness. He rescued us. He saw. He came down. He rescued. So when you trust in him, guess what? God accepts you as holy in his sight. As holy as Jesus himself. We no longer have to stand apart as other we are welcomed in fully into his presence. It reminds me of this amazing truth from Hebrews chapter four. Let's read this out loud on the screen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What Moses could not do, we can do. The final thing we learn about God in the revelation of his name here, and by far the most important, is that Yahweh is personal and active in his people's lives. One of the first things we discover about Yahweh is that he is a person. This is significant because it lets us know that we don't live in an impersonal universe like the evolutionists want us to believe. God isn't a force. He's not, may the force be with you. No, he's a living person who has emotions, who has an intellect, who has a will. This is why verse 15 is so important because not only is God I am, but he says, I am the God who is with my people. 
He reminds Moses and the Israelites that he had entered into a covenant relationship with them through Abraham, and he is fulfilling that covenant now in Moses, and he fulfills it again in Jesus Christ so that all of us who name the name of Jesus are Abraham's offspring. God is a faithful God who keeps his promises. He is committed to relationship. In fact, the thing I was struck most by this week as I prepared for this uh, message, I've looked at Exodus 3 dozens of times, but I was struck again by how God describes what he's seeing here in, in his people. Look at some of the statements he uses. I have surely seen. I have given heed to their cry. I am aware of their sufferings. I have come down to rescue. This is not a God who sits aloof up on a throne in heaven unconcerned about what's going on in his people's lives. He is intimately involved with us. What that means is that Yahweh knows you right down to the smallest detail, exactly where you are right now in life. He sees you. He cares for you. He is aware. And best of all, he is touched by it. The enemy of our souls wants us to think differently. God has abandoned you. He doesn't know what you're going through. He doesn't care what you're going through right now. He can't do anything about it. Have you ever heard those lies? I know I have. But God does care. Yahweh knows exactly what his people are going through. He is well aware of your situation in life. He sees your suffering and he cares about it. It's why he actually entered into it. And he took our suffering upon himself and he freed us from an even greater bondage, the bondage to sin and death. This is our God. This is Yahweh. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the goal of this series isn't just to learn some more information about God. While that's important because we want to have a fuller understanding of who he is, if you're following on your notes, God has revealed himself so we can know him personally. That's what this story is about. He's given us his name so that you can know him and that you can relate to him. And so what do we learn in this encounter about how Yahweh wants to relate to us? We're going to close with this. I'm going to mention two things that we learn about how Yahweh wants to relate to us, and they both are centered around this tiny little English word, when. As in, when are we going there, or when are you coming? So let's look at two instances of this word, when, and what it shows us about how God wants to relate to us. The first is in verse 3, or I'm going to go back to verse 3, where Moses said, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Then the very first word of verse 4 is that little word. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Friends, when did God speak to Moses? When Moses actually turned aside to look. One of the things we learn about Yahweh in this story is that though he is a personal God, there is a cause and effect relationship between Moses' willingness to pay attention and God's willingness to reveal himself. If you're following on your notes, God revealed himself to Moses when he turned aside. God revealed and spoke because Moses stopped, paused, slowed down, noticed, turned aside. 
Do you realize it's the same for us today as A.W. Tozer, Jenny already quoted him, I'm going to quote him again, once said, God waits to be wanted. That's a powerful statement. Unfortunately, what happens is so many of us just stop at the bush. Well, that's neat. I just learned some stuff about God. But God wants more than that. He wants us to come closer. He wants us to see him as Yahweh. Here is the mystery in this story and in other places. If you're on your notes, God waits to be wanted. He doesn't force a relationship. Do you know why so many Christians don't know Yahweh in this personal way? It's because we're too busy and distracted to actually turn aside. I believe if Moses were alive today, he would sometimes turn off his television and radio. I believe he would stop texting or phoning his friends for a time. He would discipline himself to do that. I believe he might spend less time on social media, gasp, or surfing the web. I believe he would remove the static from his life in order to be still and know that he is Yahweh. Many believers today say, I want to know God. I want to experience God. I want to have a personal relationship with God. But when you look at their schedule or their habits, you realize that's not backing up the claim. Listen, if a guy really wants to know a girl, what is he going to do? He will make time to know the girl. When I wanted to start dating Peggy, it didn't matter if it was in the morning, afternoon, evening, I'm going to make the time to be with her. And Yahweh says, what's it going to take? I want to be with you. I want you to know me. When are you going to turn aside and spend time with me for a minute? When are you going to stop in your tracks? Usually God is not going to meet us at a burning bush. I'm still waiting. However, he has given us his word. He's given us the gift of prayer. He's given us a community of believers. And when we're willing to turn aside and to spend time in those things, there are potential burning bushes everywhere. We just have to be willing to notice and to slow down and listen. I've been reading a book by one of my favorite authors, and one of the spiritual disciplines that he does is he spends 10 minutes simply being still and knowing that he is God. And I said, I'm going to do that. This was before Easter. It's so hard. I fail regularly. And yet, I want to slow down. And I want to know this God who wants to know me in this intimate way. And so I literally, I put a timer on. And when that 10 minutes is up, I'm done. But I want to start developing the habit of turning aside and being willing to listen to the God of the burning bush. If you're following on your notes here, when will I turn aside to know this personal God? When will I turn aside to know this personal God? The second use of the word when occurs in verse 12. And it is also reveals a lot about how God wants to relate to us. Again, I hope you have your Bible open because notice what it says. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
Not only is Yahweh calling Moses into a relationship, but if you're following, God also called Moses to join him in his mission. In this story, God speaks of his compassion for the suffering of his beloved people. He promises, I will come down and I will rescue them. I will free them from their slavery. But here's the surprise. Who does he want to do that through? Moses, who wants no part of it. This is true of how Yahweh still works today, if you're falling on your notes. God calls imperfect people to carry out his purposes. When Moses was young, he tried to save the Israelites all by himself, and the attempt was such an utter, complete disaster that he had to leave the country. But God was using that experience in his life. He had him in the desert for 40 years of training. Can you imagine? Out in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. But that was all preparation for this day. The time of preparation is over. God was commissioning Moses to lead his people out of slavery. Friends, every time we do a character study in our church, the number one thing we take away or we should at least take away is this is how God has always worked. He always uses ordinary, imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. None of the people in the Bible are the heroes. It is the God who works through them who is the hero. You need some examples? Abraham, father of our faith, liar, total liar. Moses, look at this story. Read the rest of it today. Excuse after excuse after excuse. He's a chicken. David, a man after God's own heart, adulterer, murderer. Peter, total coward. And yet, here's the key. When they stepped out into the calling that God had given them, God met them there, and he worked through them. It is no different for you today, Christian. The God who saves you is also the God who sends you. I'll say that again. The God who saves you is also the God who sends you. Each of us have been called to serve the God of the burning bush, whether you have been called as a preacher or a postman, or a state worker, or a homemaker. God has called us, and he has work for us to do. But don't miss this. Don't miss this on your notes. It's only when we step out in faith that God works. There's that word again. It's only when we step out in faith that God works. What do I mean? Look at verse 12 again. I love this. This is so great. Moses says, I'm not qualified. Give me a sign. And God says, I'll give you a sign. When you actually do all this, you'll worship me on this mountain. In other words, I'm not giving you a sign beforehand. You're going to have to first step out in faith, and then you're going to come and worship me at this very spot. And that's how God still works today. We take his word for it. Then we move forward in faith. So many Christians do the opposite, though. We wait for a sign from God before we do anything. It's almost never how it works. I'm not saying it doesn't work that way sometimes. You got Gideon as an example, but it's almost never how it works. Almost always it works the opposite where we step out in faith, then God reveals himself to us. I just stood in a parking lot on Friday morning with about 15 individuals from our church family who were heading to Amsterdam on a mission trip. I guarantee you not one of them were given a sign, but they stepped out in faith. 
And so I can also guarantee you that Yahweh will meet them in Amsterdam. He will use them because they have dedicated this time in their life to go, to go, just as Moses was called to go, and to bring the gospel to all nations. So let me ask you, friends, if you're on your notes, when, when will I step into my calling by faith? When will you go on that mission trip? Do you need a sign? Here it is. I'm giving it to you. When will you invite your neighbors over for dinner and begin to bridge that gap? When will you take your coworker out to lunch? When will you use the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given you to build up his church? When will you share your faith? When will you give your time to build the kingdom of God here in Springfield, Illinois? Yahweh has called every one of us into action. You don't need a sign. You just need to step into it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God. What a God you are. You are in some ways beyond our comprehension and yet you have made yourself known. You are transcendent and yet you are imminent fully revealed for us. You are Yahweh. I am. And you have invited us into a personal relationship with you. And you have invited us into mission with you. And so for the next several moments, we believe you speak through your word, through God's people, but also through your spirit. And so we want to practice what Moses practiced. We're going to turn aside now. We're going to be still. And we're going to reflect on these two questions. When will I turn aside and make you my number one priority? When will I step out in faith to what I know you've called me to do? We lay these questions before you, trusting just as you spoke to Moses, you want to speak to us today. trusting that you're revealing yourself to all of us in some way. Is there a habit we need to develop? Is there a step of faith we need to take? I pray that you'll give us the courage to do that, the desire. That this wouldn't just be a Sunday morning routine that we go through, but it would be an everyday Thanks for joining us today. 
If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.